Welcome to the Anthropology and Business Podcast, where you'll learn about the many ways anthropology is applied in business and why business anthropology is one of the most effective lenses for making sense of organizations and consumers. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in advertising, marketing, consumer behavior, organizational culture, user experience, and many other roles, you'll learn firsthand what it means to do business anthropology and how the work differs from academic anthropology. We will discuss issues like the pace and depth of research in business, our visibility and influence as practitioners, and what we can do to build our brand. We will also focus on the value and impact of our research in business so that we can help business leaders understand why they should be hiring anthropologists. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anthropology and Business Podcast. I'm Matt Arts. Today, I'm here with Menenkle Nube. You come to us today with, uh, you're currently getting your PhD in anthropology from the University of Cape Town, working in a doctoral research fellow position for uh, HUMA, the Institute of Humanities in Africa. You had previously studied, uh, got an, an advanced master's of science in cultural development from KU Leuven and a master's of social science and social anthropology from the University of Cape Town. And in between your current PhD and uh, your master's studies, I know that you did that gap year at the High Tech Accelerator working with startups in the tech space. So today, what I'd like to really talk about is, of course, you know, your background, how you came to anthropology so everybody can can learn a bit more about you, but really also, you know, your your time in the startup space so that we can kind of dig into that and see what you've learned. And I know you have an interest in entrepreneurship and, and tech to, you know, certainly to a degree. And then, uh, more so, though, you're the work that you're you know you're looking at currently, which is the sort of having an anthropological focus on the ethics of artificial intelligence and healthcare, and particularly within Central and South Africa, and, and I think Zambia in in you know very specifically. So, I'm gonna kind of try to get through all of that, which is quite a bit. You've obviously been up to quite a lot, and I know you're also interested in working in UX in the future. So, you know, gonna see how you're trying to align all of that with your future career goals. So uh, Mimi, thanks for joining today. Would you would you start by maybe sharing with everybody why you got into anthropology? Sure. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for inviting me to your platform. Um, wow. Anthropology has been a, an interesting journey. I took my first class back in my first year at UCT, University of Cape Town, and it was called Words, Deeds, Bones, and Things. I wasn't so keen on continuing that course because it had a hell lot of reading. Um, <laughs> but I later, um, in my third year, I took another anthro course uh, as an elective, which I thoroughly enjoyed. It was the Anthropology of Power and Wealth. And I later took, uh, I, don't remember, I don't remember the other course I took in the second semester, but um, from there, I was I was really certain that I wanted to do postgrad studies in anthropology. I did my honors um, in the department, and then I did my masters as well, which which was a very very exciting time in Cape Town, and that's and that's where my love for anthropo- anthropology started. And I think doing it at the University of Cape Town was very 
very interesting back in 2015 because that's when uh, we had that moment uh, of the Rhodes Must Fall movement contestation about the Cecil John Rhodes statue and what it meant for academia, what it meant for anthropology, thinking about ways of uh, transforming the discipline. And as a young uh, student or a young graduate student, I was really keen on uh, discovering or rethinking about research methods we're using in, in the discipline, whether they are still relevant and whether they really do unearth the, the patterns we observe um, from our research participants. And um, eventually I did another related master's in Leuven. I, I liked anthropology, but I, I sort of got a little bit bored with with. Uh, having to speak about the shortcomings of, of developmental paradigms. And anthropologists do enjoy uh, problematizing stuff, you know, finding the complexity uh, in things. But I was really keen to, to find solutions or to apply uh, my anthropological mind to solving problems, which is what I managed to do during my gap year in Eindhoven. So that's a short history of my career. Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, so you have this applied focus, so you choose to go to Europe and, and, and study there. And, um, you know, I'm curious, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves because certainly want to get into that experience, but uh, could you maybe just give us like a, you know, a sense of what anthropology is like, you know, say at the University of Cape Town? Um, is there any applied focus or is it more like, you know, the sort of classic four field approach? What, what does it look like? Well, anthropology uh, in Cape town is, it was, it was very interesting. I enjoyed it. I think what I, um, yes, it is quite follow a classical approach. And uh, although I, I noticed uh, the ways that it's 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 transforming in terms of graduate students really thinking about their positionality, their reflexivity, uh, their approaches, uh, better ethical ways of uh, of doing research. There really really isn't an aspect of applied work which I I, I lacked as a graduate student. I only discovered. Uh, the possibility of applying my my discipline when I took a course called the Design Thinking Program, which is at the University of Cape Town at the Business School at the Waterfront. Mm -hmm. I did that back in 2016. And it was really a refreshing space to collaborate with uh, other students from different departments, engineering, science, medicine, and so forth, to, uh, to, to think about solving contemporary problems at the university and, and out in the in the Cape Town community. So I think that moment of design thinking, I knew, okay, this is what I, I really enjoy. Mm -hmm. And But the, the department itself had no idea. Uh, there was no course or program that was preparing students to, to do applied work, which is what I, I think I, I, I wanted to do, but there was no um, space for that. How about given today that your focus is on Know, broadly, you know, central to Southern Africa is. Do you see an applied focus, you know, in that broader space, or is that something that you know you're sort of really bringing into the process? Well, first of all, in terms of innovation and technology on the African space, 
generally speaking, AI, artificial intelligence, um, is still, I would, I would still say it's emerging. There are areas on the continent where it's, it's thriving, it's growing exponentially. But for the most um, part of the continent, that area is still growing. It's still fairly new. There, there aren't a lot of collaborations happening. Um, there aren't a lot of researchers who, from the social sciences who have been asking questions on, 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 on the context of AI and how it's growing. So I think I might be part of the first few social scientists who are trying to understand uh, AI, trying to think about how to merge uh, different aspects of, of, of the industry, academics, uh, entrepreneurship, um, and, and the governmental aspect to, to really build an ecosystem that thrives for the continent in terms of technology. So just to put it simply, I, because there has, there haven't been many anthropologists working or, or speaking about AI on the continent, it's, it's hard to, it's quite challenging to, to write a research proposal, which I, by the way, I, I submitted yesterday. I, I hope and pray it will be well received. Um, yeah. Not sure I'm answering your question, but... No, no, yeah, you did. You gave you definitely gave me some oversight, and it's good. You know, many of uh, the listeners of the podcast, the majority are from the U.S., and the second largest group is broadly from Europe. And so, you know, I'm just trying to get a sense of what the what work, applied work looks like in you know any of the areas that mm-hmm. um, you know of, that the guests come from. And so, just trying to understand what that looks like globally, because as we know, you know, even the way we frame sort of anthropology and business or the anthropology of business or business anthropology and same kind of goes for design really varies everywhere. So it's always just, it's good to get a sense of what, what that applied work looks like. So um, to kind of, thanks for sharing that. So to go back just a bit now, so, you know, you go through the program in Europe, you come out, you end up with this gap year and you find yourself in a really interesting space around some people who are doing some really interesting tech work, you know, some really, really smart space. Um, you, I think from our conversation, almost find yourself in that unexpectedly to, 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 to some degree. So could you just maybe share, how does that all come about? And, and maybe, oh, first off, maybe tell everybody about the accelerator and how you sort of stumble into this. So the accelerator is, uh, is called high tech Excel. It's a, uh, it's a deep tech venture um, startup hub on the high tech campus, which is in Eindhoven. And all of this is part of what is known as Brainport Eindhoven. So, and this is in the Brabant region of the Netherlands in the South. And what, uh, what, what Brabant is trying to do, or it's what it's been trying to do for the past uh, few years is to build a space that uh, is a hub for deep technology and artificial intelligence in the country and there's a lot there's a really it's a really technical space with lots of internationals coming from all parts of the world trying to think about how to better industrialize artificial intelligence and and other uh, hardware technologies and i end up in this space because i was literally soul searching i was uh, job searching 
and I was trying to find a space I could uh, work the interim before I decide what I wanted to do for a PhD. I wasn't really sure what exactly I wanted to do for a PhD, so I thought, let me just try and um, work a little bit. And I, I end up I end up attending this event at the High Tech Excel, and um, it was a, an info session, and they were inviting people to 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 be part of new startups they were nurturing. And I mean, I was sitting there with all sorts of engineers, business graduates, and I I asked the CEO and I said, "Hey, I think I'm the only social scientist here. I, I feel a bit out of place. I yeah, you invited me to this." Um, event, but I don't think I actually fit in. And he said, actually, we need more people like you. I said, really? Okay. So they accepted me to join uh, one of their startups, which comprised uh, some engineers and some business graduates. And we ideated on uh, a few technologies that came from Philips, ASML, TNO, um, and all sorts of high-tech companies that were trying to market their innovation. And I must say, it was a really, really challenging time for me because I don't have any business knowledge. I have no technical expertise. And I was trying to really think about the human the human aspect of this. And it's coming from a place where I wasn't trained to think like this. It was really like jumping into the deep end. But I really thank goodness for that experience because now I, I have very... I, I come out with, with interesting perspectives, the gaps that exist in technology and ethics, um, which I, I then try to incorporate into my proposed PhD. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I want to dig into maybe some of the struggles and a little bit of the work, but to just to s- step back for a second. So you, so you have this interest in applied anthropology, but it seems like you weren't quite thinking of the tech sector at that point in time. No, not necessarily. I, I just I think high tech Excel is something that just happened. I stumbled upon it and I just went with it. Particularly because this was around the end of February, March, twenty twenty, and that was when the COVID pandemic uh, occurred and the country went into lockdown mid March. And from then, I knew, like, oh my goodness, this is going to be very difficult to find a job in my gap year. So. I might as well just um, stay in the hub and, and 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 work with the startups and see where it lands me. I mean, it was a very unpredictable year. I had no idea how the year would 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 progress. Uh, everyone was was working with so much uncertainty. Um, I remember we our our cohort at the High Tech Excel was the very first one to work online. The history of High Tech Excel. So we I met a lot of my colleagues online. We worked online for at least a month, and I only got to meet them in person uh, when we were allowed to 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 go back to work for like maybe a few hours or have two people on the team meet each other. Mm-hmm. But um, I think because of COVID nineteen, that really was I think. That influenced my decision to to be part of the startup as a, uh, an applied anthropologist. So, what I find interesting about that, though, is that you know you're interested in applying work, uh, interested in applied anthropology, but yet you know through your your master studies, it seems like that didn't really present itself as a particular field for applying it. Um, you know, which is interesting because here in the states right now, it's like you know the thing that most people are thinking is is that 
or, or the most common way I see people applying it is oftentimes going into tech because there are a lot of jobs hiring at this point in time. Everybody's sort of talking about UX. So just kind of interesting to see the difference there. Now, in your case, you sort of stumble into this. That helps you, you know, discover tech. Um, and then you, you know, you choose to get involved, you know, as you acknowledge, you were the only social scientist in the room, which is a nice place to be, but also maybe a scary place to be if it's your first time in the space. Mm-hmm. So what was, um, you know, what was your, aside from feeling maybe a little out of place, as you kind of already described, what was your initial impression of, of the field of maybe the way the engineers and business people were talking? <laughs> really found them to be so standoffish and they were deeply obsessed about whether the technology works you know there was a deep obsession about does this work how can we tweak it how could we add this we need to calculate this we need to do this but there wasn't i I never got a sense of does it work for the person you know Mm -hmm. does that fit into a person's daily life, so to speak? Does it enhance a person's uh, quality of life? So there was a deep obsession of the technical ability of the product and whether it is going to sell and have an ROI, a return of investment for you know the investor. That was the crazy obsession. And on the other hand, I was just sitting there thinking, okay, y'all are just um, trying to design technology for people, but you're not talking to people enough. You know, You need to really go deep into the customer, know what their patterns are, what do they like, who they, you know, there wasn't that sense of humanity happening, which I was trying to bring forth to the table. Got it. So, so that's, so that's want, the first thing I noticed. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I want to hear more about what you did bring to the table, but you know, just as a quick aside, I, I'm in the middle of writing a, a paper and I, I was reading through, you know, some literature yesterday and I was, I was reading on algorithmic bias Another paper comes out of computer science, and it was basically described as you know a deviation from the expected, and that you know where where there is user error, it wasn't the it wasn't the bias of the user that contributed to the bias of the algorithm, but where there was bias was applying it in the wrong context, applying the mm-hmm. algorithm in the wrong context from which it was described, which was I thought an mm-hmm. overly sort of technocratic way yeah. to look at algorithmic bias, but. Um, Nonetheless, we all have different worldviews, and that's why we ought to work together. So when you were suggesting, you know, this more humanistic approach, how was it received among this group? First of all, the first the first uh, impression I was I was given by a colleague was, I mean, this is not an academic space. This is a business space. I think they were responding to <laughs> to my obsession on spending more time with the customer. And so what I noticed is that in, in, in the business world, there isn't so much time to do research. You know, as an ethnographer, you spend months up to years gathering data to know a group of people. But in this space, you have like one week, two weeks to preserve, produce results. Who's the custom, customer validation? Validate this. And for me, it didn't make sense at all to, to, to do a validation within a short space and time. That was very challenging. Um, but on the other hand, there were colleagues who really appreciated my, my, um, what I brought to the table because they didn't think about the human side of things. They didn't think about ethics. They didn't really think about culture, which was, uh, really appreciated by a lot of my colleagues. But on the other hand, it was like challenging because all this stuff takes time to understand. So that's the, the, the challenge of, of applying anthropology in business when you have short timelines. 
And so, you know, as the projects progressed, how did you, you know, how did you find some common ground there? Um, I think the common ground is found um, much later in the process. It's unfortunate that I, I didn't stay long enough in, 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 in the startup to, to see the product to the point of sale because, of, because I started the PhD early this year and I had to um, step out of, out of um, my, my role and, and focus on my PhD. But I think had I stayed longer to see uh, the product at the point of sale and, and observe how it, it's, 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 it's being received by the market, how people are perceiving it, it would have been very beneficial for uh, the team uh, to benefit from my reflection on how to tweak it, how to improve it, what people are thinking, and how to better design it for, for the market. And given that you had this opportunity to, to conduct this applied work, how did that change your view of what you previously learned and, you know, in mm. terms of your previous master's studies? Mm. I think what I learned was that there's a huge disconnect between um, what's happening in academia and what's happening in, in the industry. Those two things are very distant from each other. Um, the anthropologists in, let's say, in the social sciences in Leuven and those in Cape Town have very much a theoretical and, 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 and classical perspectives on, on studying things. Uh, and then in the industrial space, something else is completely different, you know? Uh, you have business people and, and technologists who are not really thinking or prioritizing uh, people at the center of their, of their product uh, production, which is very critical. And I think that gap is, is I wish that we could fill that gap in order to, to improve the services we, 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 we designed for people, which is what I essentially want to do in, as a UX researcher later. Got it. So, so we can use that to maybe sort of pivot forward here. So you you choose to come back to get a PhD. You choose to go back to Cape Town. Um, so why did you choose to go back to Cape Town to a program that wasn't so applied? If you were interested in applied, is there anything that sort of particularly drew you back? Absolutely. So I applied to a range of PhDs, and I chose Cape Town. Uh, for a very special reason, okay? I could have done seven-year PhD in the U.S., which I don't think it would have been practical if I, if I don't abstain in academia. Uh, so, first of all, the PhD in Cape Town is shorter and it's more practical towards what I want to do. And the time difference between my, my colleagues in the Netherlands and Cape Town, time difference works. So, for practical reasons, that was a good decision. The second reason I chose Cape Town was... I'm very passionate about technology that's emerging on the continent. And I'm working with a team of researchers, uh, also focusing on the fourth industrial revolution and the ethics of care. We're concerned with the trajectory of AI on the continent and working in a team helps me to think very broadly about critical ways of, of uh, 
using anthropology to to improve technology on the continent. And I think Cape Town was really the best choice I could I could make um, with respect to the work I want to contribute in technology on the continent. Got it. Thanks. And so, how are you? I know that you're you're sort of trying to align, you know, your fellowship to sort of orient that towards, you know, your future trajectory of practicing. But before sort of maybe jumping into that, or maybe that is the answer, but how are you trying to make, you know, this PhD program a little bit more applied than maybe it is by nature? Hmm. So for the past few months working on my proposal, I've intentionally been thinking about how to make this project worthwhile, not just to fulfill the academic criteria in the, the department when I write the thesis, but um, doing the PhD as a way to prepare myself for UX. So the research questions that I've, um, I've designed for the project, for instance, enable me to think about um, becoming a UX researcher. Uh, for example, uh, how products or AI software is designed in the lab, what data scientists are doing in Zambia, what goes into uh, team dynamics, which, what data sets are available, what type of machine learning they're using, and also the landscape in which the AI um, is adopted, who's using the AI software, which clinical uh, institutions adopt it, and at the end, how people how it really fits into the social fabric. So these are the questions I ask in my proposal, which intentionally also prepare me later on for a career in applied anthropology when I uh, graduate. Yeah, great. It's, it's nice to see that you're you know, really sort of charting that path out. I was just giving a presentation the other day to where I studied UNT and was suggesting just that, that you sort of really align you know, all of your mm-hmm. sort of research activities to get you the job versus maybe just <laughs> studying something that you love. But isn't, mm. isn't so much going to help with a career. Mm. Um, so so that obviously that's a smart move on your end, but I guess something that I haven't asked yet and isn't immediately clear to me is where along the path did you actually get interested in AI? You know, was it in your gap year? Well, AI is something that I... I sort of liked um, just living in the Netherlands <laughs> on my day-to-day. Uh, you have a lot, a lot more electric vehicles, you know, uh, a lot more automation wherever you go, whether it's in the supermarket, whether it's in, um, you know, using different means of transportation. But even in the startup hub, there are elements of incorporating AI technology in the hardware that um, the technology, technology entrepreneurs are producing. So I was very interested in that. But also um, the advertised PhD uh, did have an, an AI aspect, which was motivational for me to really think harder about AI and and um, where it's going on the continent. But just I think just being part of these um, think tanks in Eindhoven, I'm part of the AI Innovation Center. I'm also part of Fruit Punch AI. These are spaces where um, um, AI is being thought about, whether it's ethical, etc. But also, when I think about Africa, I, I, what, what I think about is, is where 
how countries are governing AI. And I think there's poor governance on that part. There aren't enough frameworks that shape or, or, or govern artificial intelligence. And I think there is a lot of work needing to be done, not just by data scientists, but uh, social scientists, mm-hmm. uh, legal scholars that need to come together, collaborate and produce a blueprint at least that that enables the continent to govern AI. So, so that, that's similar to what other places are doing, like in Europe, you have the GDPR, the US, I'm not sure what you have. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> California has a law, okay. uh, but <laughs> nowhere else. It's a free-for-all yeah. still. Um, so your committee, your faculty committee, do you have, is there a representative who knows AI deeply or, or do you sort of really have to upskill to, to be that person? And the faculty, does anyone? Well, I think because a, a anthropology has been quite conventional for the past few decades, in my opinion, um, AI is still relatively new to the department. My former supervisors, um, have not, uh, don't have research interests that specifically point to AI. So I think our cohort in Cape Town in the humanities might be the first to really be deeply thinking about AI on the continent, which is very pivotal, I think, given how exponential it's, exponentially it's, it's growing. And um, I think it's a really important space, not just for us, but for future graduates to, to shape their, their projects uh, especially if they want to work in applied work. Um, I think it's a nice time to be doing AI in Cape Town. Yeah, or anywhere, really, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's really needed at right now. And so you talk about that it's, you know, it's growing exponentially on the continent. Um, but where are the sort of emergent centers of AI? Mm, good question. Emerging centers. When you, the first place I think of is Eastern Eastern Africa, Kenya, Tanzania, uh, probably South Africa, um, uh, maybe we go north, maybe I would think Nigeria, which other country, jeez, I don't have any everything on the top of my head. I mean, I think when you look at the landscape, there are countries or regions that are really that, that you see there's a huge or uh, very big potential for AI to be growing. You know, you've got startups doing this and that. You have foreign companies doing this and that, applying AI. But there are spaces where it's relatively just very sparse. You know, there, there isn't a lot of AI development occurring, maybe because of connectivity um issues, you know, lack of connectivity really determines whether you can apply an AI tool and infrastructural uh, lacks, maybe governance as well, that determines how well startups do and all sorts of factors that determine, um, you know, the space in which AI grows or is limited. And so is there any no, appreciate that there are maybe certain centers that are involved in this and that across those centers, needs are likely different. But is there any particular industries that you see AI being deployed on the continent? Absolutely. I think fintech is uh, 
a very big space uh, with respect to the application of AI. Um, many uh, communities are taking advantage of digital money, whether it's M-Pesa in the East of Africa, whether it's EcoCash in Zimbabwe, um, and other sort of solutions that are is using digital um, tools to, to 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 manage finances. My particular interest is in healthcare, which I of course they, there are some areas where healthcare is, is is slowly adopting AI, but it's not as big as fintech. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so would you mind sharing why your interest is healthcare? Because I I mean I've been interested in medical anthropology since my studies in Cape Town. It's something that I'm passionate about. I'm, uh, actually, the, 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 the medical anthropology course in my third year is why I still want to stick to it. Um, also, healthcare is a very big theme in, in, in the social sciences. And healthcare is, is still a, a very, you know, critical area on the continent. You have waterborne diseases, chronic illnesses, etc. And I think... My, my my desire or my passion is to see how we could uh, enhance healthcare with the use of technology. Yeah. And so is there any particular area within healthcare that, you know, you would prefer to focus on? Mm, I have no preferences at the moment. I, I think I'd probably be interested in primary healthcare. Because that's that's an area that's uh, very important for, for for the majority of of communities on the continent. Primary healthcare is important. That's that's the area you have most patients um, in, and that's the area that lacks a lot of uh, special uh, doctors and, and and health professionals. So. Primary healthcare really, really needs a lot of support. Not to say that uh, specialized care doesn't. You know, your your the specialized um, medical um, sector, of course, it's important. But I think primary healthcare is, is an area that I, I'm, I'd really be interested to to look at or, or, or work in. So, and and certainly, there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, I mean, you know, everywhere, you know, in the states, there's quite a bit of interesting movements happening, which sort of just decision support even down to that level. Um, but I guess to maybe frame it in in the context of, is it HUMA? Is that my, my saying the right mm-hmm. thing? Mm-hmm. So um, how's, that, how's all this relate to the organization and, you know, what, what are they trying to do? Um, you mean my work? You're talking mm-hmm. about my... Well, I mean, humor is 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 still humor is still relatively new. I'm I'm not sure. I think it was it was established. I think is in twenty two thousand and six. I'm I'm probably wrong, but it's still a relatively new institution. And at the moment, um, the board is is trying to 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 enhance more research in the institution. Um, I, I, I think that some of the strategic programs that exist uh, are still quite, of course, they're new to the to the space and they're trying to uh, see whether it can be relevant, not just for academia, but for, 
for um, applied work. And my colleagues with whom I work, they, they come from a lot of different areas. You know, I come with the experience in you know, experience from startups. You have colleagues coming from North Africa, from Morocco, who work who come from different um, think tanks. You have all sorts of people that bring so many conversations to to humor. And I think that potentially humor might be a, a, a hub for the continent to uh, um, to to look at when they want to think about hum- what humanities, what the social sciences really is in Africa because of the range of, of work that is being produced there, which I think is fantastic. Great. And so it certainly sounds like it would be a fertile ground for you to, to sort of, uh, you know, focus your area of studies, I guess, mm-hmm. thinking through, you know, your plan to connect this all to UX, um, how do you see in practice, aside from the research questions, the way you design those, mm-hmm. what are you going to try to do throughout you know, your PhD studies and your fellowship to really ground that in the way we do research in business. I mean, of course, you ha- you know, you have the need to sort of do it, the research in an academic way so that you can publish what is required for academia. But the deliverables, if you will, from a UX perspective would be very different. So of course, you're going to cover like, mm-hmm. you know, the research, you're going to be very Absolutely. well, I mean, you're already well-trained in research, you're going to be better trained. Um, but you the still what you deliver is quite different. So do you have plans to, you know, to produce outputs or artifacts that are very, you know, that are like very clearly sort of like tools we would use in mm-hmm. UX and combine mm-hmm. that into the academic work or are you going to kind of keep them separate? Wow, that's a good question. Uh <laughs> So at the moment I'm trying to like I mentioned, I'm trying to do things in parallel. I'm trying to build a UX portfolio. And I'm trying to also fulfill the academic criteria, the PhD. Um, of course, as I mentioned, the research questions are intentionally meant to prepare me for UX, but also I'm doing some other engagements um, outside the PhD which allow me to think about the user experience of AI. For example, uh, with Fruit Punch AI, it's a it's um it's an incubator in Eindhoven that that collaborates with institutions such as hospitals to experiment on um, new algorithmic tools uh, in hospitals. Um, so I I joined uh, one of the challenges which start which starts uh, very soon at the ETZ hospital in Tilburg. And my my portfolio there is to really identify how the user res- um, re- responds to the algorithm that they're trying to introduce in the hospital. So these are things that I'm trying to do on the side to, to build a UX uh, portfolio. And the interesting thing is um, I often have to, to, to actually convince some think tanks that Hey, I'm an I'm an anthropologist. This is what I can I can. This is the value I can bring to your to your to your product. Can I be a part of your 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 project? And they say, Oh, okay. Well, what is that? You know, and I have to kind of divide. I actually had to design my own role in Fruit Punch AI because they've never had an anthropologist. The hospitals in in, in North Barbados have never had an anthropologist 
think about how to improve healthcare. And I had to propose this and they had to look at it and accept it. I'm meeting the hospital next week to to think of, to, to, to discuss the questions I've proposed. And and they, from there, they'll say, okay, you can come and, and do some research. So these are the things I'm doing on the side to build my UX portfolio. Got it. And that all sounds great. And, and you know, sounds like that would certainly help contribute to getting to the end goal. But I want to come back to still like the idea of kind of joining, you know, the sort of UX work with the the what you produce, the dissertation that you'll produce, because, you know, in my own experience, I kept... So I went to University of North Texas, applied program, had to do a graduate thesis, which was an applied project, had a client, and I kept the work very, very separate. And I, in retrospect, regret that to a degree. I mean, there were certainly some intellectual properties and private information that I absolutely would have had to keep private. But there were certain certain outputs that pushed more into sort of like the model framework kind of space that I actually think would have made the the thesis much stronger had I chose to include them. And they probably were mm. broad enough that I could have, but chose not to. Mm. Um, and now regret that a bit um, because now they've been handed off and they are now the intellectual property of that, you know, that organization. And I now, of course, can't sort of take that back and use it. Um, mm. And so, you know, I don't have the answer and, and not suggesting that you need to do, you know, one way or the other, but I guess just sharing my, my reflection mm. on that, I, I yeah. probably, you know, I, I would have, I would rethink what I did in the past. Uh, and, you know, I, I, you know, that from our previous conversation that I myself am thinking getting a PhD. And so I'm still struggling, like thinking of through like, you know, how am I going to pull, you know, how am I going to do that this time around? How am I going to approach that? Even thinking things through, like you know, how can I make use of much greater multimedia within a dissertation? You know, there's obviously our work has changed so much and is is so digital today that to make it so text based seems uh, just like a, a gap. So, are you? Is there anything in the digital space that you're also thinking of sort of bringing in into the dissertation? Um, is there anything? I'm- at the moment things are a bit opaque um but i mean i understand where you're coming from and i think that hesitancy might be because at least for me what i can say is i'm in a an an anthropology department that's classically academic um that is that has hardly done any um research work on AI or digital applications. Um, I'm not sure how it might look during the field work when I have to uh, discuss or analyze um, the digital aspect of my findings, what it means for um, the intellectual property of those that have shared information. I, I'm, I'm still, I'm not sure. I am still unsure about that. Sure, yeah. But I so, think, but I think it's a, it's something to think about. It's a very good question. I, I think that's something I'll keep in mind as I think about my project. Uh, there's not many uh, models for us to follow yet. Mm. It doesn't seem like too many people are doing anything exactly in that space. Mm. There was one, uh, there was one story, and I don't remember most of the details, but it was somebody in the states who I think turned in like a music album as their dissertation, which I don't mm. know how well that went over or not. Um, 
I imagine if you try to do that in like a classic four field anthropology program here in the States, you would, it would not go so well, but I could be wrong. Um, but anyway, yeah. So I'm just, I'll be curious to to hear how everything is going and, and how you're sort of negotiating mm-hmm. all of that. Because of course, you know, in the AI space, there's, there's lots of interesting things happening. Uh, I've talked mm-hmm. about it with a few other people, but like, you know, in terms of yeah, the derivative works that sort of come out of a lot of these tools that we're using and, and sort of who, who even owns some of that. And it's, yeah. uh, it's, it's starting to create a sort of a new question for me about how do you approach something like a dissertation going forward yeah. and, and what can you include and whatnot. And so, yeah, sorry, you're going to say something. Yeah. And, and of course I have kind of thought about it because as I mentioned, I'm, I'm, I'm building a UX portfolio and parallel. And I thought, okay, how would that look like if I were to submit alongside the thesis, a UX portfolio, how would I, I don't know how it might, how it would look, but it's, 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 I do have it in mind. I just don't know how it's going to, to unfold at the moment. Yeah. You know, even things like, um, and now we're just kind of going down the rabbit hole, but seeing as you're you know interested in AI, right? If we were to use any like natural language understanding, which I played around with, but didn't actually include it in my thesis, right? But was using it to sort of compare just as like a example of how would that look to me doing like my thematic analysis, right? And um yeah, the question then is, is like if you're using natural language understanding, you know, like, you know, you're on an AI project. So if you, you know, why not use AI tools? But if you're using AI tools, mm-hmm. what does that really say about your scholarship versus the tool, right? It's some interesting areas there. But uh, mm. anyway, so, so to maybe sort of, um, you know, so to kind of wrap this up a bit. So you also, through all of this, you also have this thread of entrepreneurship that you're interested in. And of course, you know, AI within uh, on the continent is very emergent. There's going to be lots of entrepreneurship around that. Uh, there's also a need for governance, as you already said. But given your experience at the accelerator and sort of what you're looking at now, what is your interest in entrepreneurship? My interest is, is really to to contribute, um, obviously, my anthropological perspective in 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 uh, in corporate business or in, in 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 technology that is being designed, but more specifically, I really want to to be part of an ecosystem that has collaboration between technologists, uh, the, the business sector. And, and policymakers and those in government to to support innovation on the continent. Um, but as in, specifically from me, from my anthropological interests, I want to uh, help design products that that serve people's needs. That's my core mission at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agreed. So. You know, the interesting thing there is, um, you know, I appreciate you'll bring a different perspective, you know, to the entrepreneurship process, but it's, it's always funny to hear like, you know, you, you sort of had this initial experience with the sort of engineers and, and the business people, right? Where there's maybe, you know, a little difference in perspective, but that didn't push mm-hmm. you away. It actually kind of pushed you or pulled you in mm-hmm. and made you want to kind of contribute as opposed to, um, yeah, just saying uh, it's it's not the space for me, which I think is particularly interesting um, 
because as I've said to some people, you know, like, what if we're not there, right? You know, then it's sort of left to the perspectives that you had like a little bit Absolutely. of friction with in the beginning, right? Absolutely. We really need to be there, even if it's difficult. Absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, um, there's a, a very common quote or saying I've heard that engineers need to sign oaths because ultimately um, the technology that they design does affect um, human life. And to some extent, I agree because I think when you are designing technology to suit a particular context, you really need to be careful about um, understanding who that user is, what data set you've chosen, who's in the team, do you have a diverse team? Do you have the right team? Do you have different perspectives in the team? Um, what type of machine learning are you running the data set? Is it, uh, does it really suit the application that you're doing? Um, and I think as social scientists, we, although that industry doesn't necessarily uh, look for us and we find it, I just think, well, at least we, we have that moral responsibility. If you, of course, if you do have a passion for biotechnology, to to kind of find ways you can contribute, because ultimately, I think as anthropologists, we are passionate about people. We're passionate about um, the ethics that that people or the morals that people uphold, and I think that's what inspires me um, for my PhD and for the career that I'm trying to build. Great. Well. I think we should probably leave it there because I don't think we can say much better. Um, if people are interested in learning more about your work, uh, where could they find you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not very big on social media. I'm on LinkedIn. My first and last name, Minen Lingwe. I am on Twitter, which is my name written backwards with an underscore. <laughs> It's uh, E-L-H-N-E-N-I-M underscore. That's my name backwards and underscore. And that's the same on my uh, LinkedIn. Um, I have a website, which I still need to uh, build and edit. I have so much I want to to contribute. I just haven't had time. My website is mimimube.com. I will be um, updating it soon. So that's where you can find me. Sounds great. Well, Mimi, thanks for coming on. It was great talking to you. Really appreciate it. And uh, I hope to uh, see your work in the future. Thanks, Matt. And congratulations on this podcast. Thank you so much. It's it's a really good platform to for the public to understand anthropology and how it can be applied. So congrats and well done on this. Thanks. Appreciate that. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Anthropology and Business Podcast. To learn everything you need to break into business anthropology and why business anthropology is one of the best lenses for contributing to business success, visit my website at madarts.me where I cover many topics related to business anthropology and beyond. There you will find all the podcast episodes, blogs, and news. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.